In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. But everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Guys, welcome back to the Ansons podcast. We recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago before the health crisis had really gone full-blown here in the U.S. And it actually is more applicable than we realized. We found ourselves in a moment where high school seniors are done. No final ball games, no potential graduation ceremony. The same for colleges and graduate programs. The same for folks who maybe have lost their job or are waiting for life to get back to quote-unquote normal, there has been a lot of shifting. And in the midst of that, it would be really easy to just blow past what should be celebrated and might be missed if we don't slow down and take the time to celebrate it. So it might feel awkward. It might feel like what you really want to do is spin those wheels really fast and get back into the groove of things, but I think this episode will hopefully encourage you to name the things that might have missed their celebration and the change and give them the weight that they actually carry. Guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And we have lassoed Luke back in. Luke, welcome. Hi, guys. Good to be back. You know, your voice has been much requested and noted in its absence. So, you know, you're welcome, all you listeners out there that have been waiting for the return of the third brother. I would say in terms of request, it's like, respond to my email, number one. Bring Luke on the podcast, number two. Yeah. I mean, Blaine doesn't actually handle our email correspondence. I do, but like from what he experiences, that's very much the case. That's honoring, but it's also a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, we're really just going to sit back and hope that you're going to ride this one. So go ahead. I have so much wisdom to give. I think I would like to start this conversation with your last day at the coffee shop. Oh, man. My last day in the service industry, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so closing shift, mopping the floors, spent almost a year working at this coffee shop, getting ready to leave to pursue different work, and had that feeling of excitement to be done. But then there's also the very weird feeling of your last closing shift. You're totally by yourself at a coffee shop. Mm. And everyone that's worked with you, that you've formed relationships with, that you've suffered together, like you can only suffer in the service industry, the the kind of brothers in arms are all gone. And you're just kind of by yourself. And you clock out for the last time and lock the door for the last time. And there's that feeling of the story coming to an end and this particular story coming to an end, but only to me. 
mm. as everyone else that works there are going to show up the next day. The world keeps spinning, but mine has dramatically shifted. And so, yeah, just that feeling of wanting there to be some sort of significance to that and or not feeling like there was any. Knowing there's significance, but there's nothing to acknowledge it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the desire to somehow mark the occasion and just feeling the moment kind of slipping by into oblivion. Mm. And to rehearse a little bit of the story, when you're at this coffee shop, years in the service industry, mm -hmm. you were a coffee roaster, you were a sushi chef, you've mopped floors and closed restaurants and served fish to unhappy late night customers for a long time. Right, right. This is a three-year story rather than just this particular coffee shop. And I, working in the service industry, there's kind of a feeling of like, oh man, is my college degree worth anything? As I have a distinct memory of, we could never get clean mops to mop the floor with, so we had to clean the mop ourselves. So you'd have to fill up the bucket and then like wash the mop head and then clean the water and wash the mop head and clean the water every night. And I had a moment of like, doing that, thinking to myself, how did I get here? <laughs> so it's a longer story that was coming to an the end. Bachelor of Arts is how you got there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> womp, womp. Sad. You were writing about this, and you contrasted it with one of your favorite parts of medieval literature. Yeah, yeah. So the desire that I had was for a celebration, was to mark the occasion with the people that walked alongside me in that story. And it made me think of, I really love La Morte Archer by Thomas Mallory, which is a medieval Arthurian tome. And in all of the stories of knights, they all end with the errant knight who had been going on the adventure, coming back to King Arthur's court and having this feast and celebration where all of the people that journeyed alongside the knight that were there, that witnessed what he did, had a chance to tell their story, to tell their part of that knight's story. And that just fills my heart with so much longing for all the stories to be told and for there to be witnesses to, to what that knight had been through. Mm. Yeah, it's so good. I, I realize there's probably a boomer parent out there going, oh, you want like a medal or an award for everything, every new like change of season. But they're actually like to push back against that. The Arthurian thing is, is so key and does actually hearken to heaven and the kingdom, but you want it now. You want there to be these moments for genuine thresholds, for genuine transitions of seasons and how many of those are spent alone. Like mm -hmm. how many times I've moved states and it's just me or it's me and Susie and it feels really quiet. It feels really unnoticed. It feels kind of wrong. Mm. And sometimes it feels totally wrong when you like you can roll into town and no one's there. And you're like, oh, the verdict is that nothing I do matters mm. and I am inconsequential. Mm. Man, yeah. And I think that desire and what those stories stir in me is looking at the kingdom of God and the wedding feast. But also I think of a story too of moving from Washington and we've packed the car We've spent five years here, first year of marriage. Olivia's in the passenger seat. We're driving away. I see our first house that we live together in, in the rearview mirror. Olivia's in tears. I'm freaked out by driving a truck. I don't know how to drive. And there's that moment of like, this is really significant. Mm -hmm. 
and yet it passes with no recognition that it's significant. It is such a key space because the 20s, especially after you turn 21 and can drink, uh, and if you're, depending on your career, college, if you finish college or are promoted in some way, you enter a ritual dead zone. And one of the things that I noticed in thinking about this was you are 14 years old and you cannot wait to be 15 years old because you can drive. And then when you're 15, you cannot wait to be 16 because you can drive by yourself. And then I can't wait to be 18 because then I'm an adult. I can buy my own tobacco. And then... By the way, I'm also going to be leaving the house. And there are all these mini rituals. And they're the rituals of noticeable firsts, mm-hmm. of first job, first apartment out of the house, whatever it is. And right. Or last year in my teens or first year in my 20s. Yes. It's like the life of ritual explodes into disorienting variety. And I, one thing I notice is sometimes guys who do the classic American thing in their 20s, it's actually the appeal of ritual. And it's, you know, marriage, kids, house, dog. In certain cases, I've seen, oh, you are looking for that experience of a ritualized celebratory progression that has ended for you. Mm. As I was reading for this podcast, ran into a really interesting set of ideas, which is that without celebration, over time, people stop trying. It was done with people in businesses where it went, hey, let's assign projects to employees and let's give them varying levels of nothing to good job to come by their office with a beer to toast their achievement. And predictably, the more ritual celebration that was baked in, the more they wanted to try the next thing and would Mm. take bigger risks. And I I see it like one of the things in triathlon is actually the celebration. And Mm. yes, having a race makes you train, but also having the structure of train, race, celebrate gives your soul something to go through. Oh, totally. I think about that, that after race meal, all of the joys of that. I mean, it happens at the end of most adventures when they come to a close. But definitely in the triathlons we do together, go out for lunch, have some beers, talk about, oh, man, when that headwind came up and it was just so brutal, the sunrise right as we were starting, mm-hmm. and you looked up and tried to sight, but all you saw was just water and sun and people kicking you in the face. There's that camaraderie, celebration, cheering. I, I, I love having people there to cheer on because there are very few, there are very few arenas these days where you can literally have the people you love uh, unashamedly and appropriately cheering you on, going, yes, go, go, go. Wow, you're amazing. <laughs> I, I'd like Susie to do that while I'm doing the dishes, but it would feel a little patronizing. <laughs> yes, so clean, go, though. go, go. Use that steel wool. Oh, my gosh. I also think, too, Sam, that makes me think that there's something so important about celebrating with the people that did it with you. Right. Um, I think about when I left the coffee shop, what I really wanted was to gather with the people that I worked with, mm-hmm. many of whom left 
Meaning that they'd already quit. They'd already quit. They've already gone to other jobs. And so they didn't even know that I was leaving, but I wanted to be with them. Right. Just like in triathlons, when we celebrate, it's so much better when you're celebrating with people that also ran the race. Mm -hmm. I ran a race last summer, just me. And we got to celebrate. We went out to lunch and like there was that moment, but it didn't feel as, um, I didn't feel as known. Right. It wasn't shared. And I think that's my desire for the stories being told is that feeling known, that people knowing that part of your story. Mm -hmm. Yes. And returning to the epics, how about in Beowulf where they don't just tell Beowulf's story his story gets situated in the stories of the great heroes. And so he's defeated Grendel, he comes in, there's a feast. He defeats Grendel's mother, there's a much bigger feast. And Hrothgar tells the story of Harrod, and he tells about the great warriors and their lives and deaths. And they, they give a template inside of which to understand Beowulf. And I go, oh my gosh, that... That is this other key piece of celebration where I want older guys in that circle. I want the peers who lived it with me, and we did it together. And I want the older guys reflecting on their exit of the service industry or that season and giving a template that acknowledges what my soul has just been through. Mm -hmm. Because it is a part of the masculine journey. The 20s are a part. There's a very disoriented part. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking about this a lot when we were interviewing actually your boss mm. and asking about his experience of transitioning from the military into civilian life. And there seems to be a hang up there in some people's stories as it's this piece of their life, this massive defining thing that they then are sitting on a table and nobody else can connect to. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling that sort of feeling in smaller degrees, like when you finish college and you've moved back or you've been abroad and you come back to the college, or you've changed some job and you're somewhere else, and you're like, you don't know where I've just come from. Mm -hmm. And I feel actually further away from the people with me when my longing is the opposite. My longing mm -hmm. is to be known and seen, and so to not have that actually isn't just being missed. It can actually be very divisive. It can be very isolating. Susie and I, years ago, had traveled to Japan which was a long-time dream of mine. And on the way back, instead of landing back in Denver, we landed in San Francisco because Denver had shut down from this snowstorm that came in. And we got a rental car because we had to get back. The next flight they could get us was like three days later. So oh, we're no. like, okay, Susie has to get to work. We got a rental car for 24 hours. That's about how long it takes to get to the Carl Springs Airport to drop it off. <laughs> and so we just drove through the night. And I remember... At one point in the trip, we were at that crossroads that is the turn towards Moab that I'm super mm. familiar with from all of our trips out there. So I'm filling up the tank. And I'm looking around at these guys with their their mountain bikes and their quads and things like that. And I'm going, I am still wearing the clothing I was wearing in Tokyo. Like you, you see me, but you do not know where I just was. Yeah. You do not know where I've come from. And because of that, this is a very intimate place, Moab, that I know but I actually feel so far away from mm. it because people didn't know my story recently. And it was like, just like it's very jarring. Like I need to go around and shake people at the gas station and be like, do you know where I have come from? Yeah. The world is a very big place. Yeah. I've had a long night. <laughs> Can you spare a coffee? <laughs> 
that really ties in with, you wrote about this recently, Luke, a very intriguing, wandering essay. I say wandering because the points that were included were interesting. And one of them was nostalgia. And the two questions are, what is it? And then how is it connected for you to the concept of celebration? Yeah, I think nostalgia is such a cool word because normally when we think of it, we think of like, oh, that's the toy I used to play with. I get a feeling of longing for youth. But nostalgia at its Greek roots actually mean pain and home. And some people translate it as carrying the wound of home. So it's an idea of that you're carrying the pain of not being home. That's what nostalgia is. Mm. Um, and so in my longing for celebration, I'm longing for the kind of honor and dignity that awaits us in heaven, but that we don't quite have yet. And so nostalgia is this idea of I'm carrying the wound of not being where I was supposed to be in some way, like part of my eternal soul remembers Eden and I carry the wound of not being there. That's so fascinating. Aside, during the Civil War, there were 13 deaths attributed to nostalgia. What the? And a cited 2,500 cases of home pain. Wow. Wow, no, this piece of I'm, I'm feeling the pain of this reality I was meant for but not experienced personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I think everybody can resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's our feeling of when we finish watching The Lord of the Rings, which is Olivia and I's Christmas tradition. Um, to just watch. watching, just watching one of them. No, we watch them all, and The Hobbits, and all extended, and usually in a couple sittings. <laughs> How many hours? And it of takes film from <laughs> the end of Lent <laughs> till like twenty Christmas. hours. It's like twenty hours, yeah. Um, and it's so fun. <laughs> um, and it got started because the Hobbit movies were released during Christmas time. And so I associated them with Christmas. And mm-hmm. that's how we got there. But then we do it every year because it's fun to enter into that world together, share the joy of that together. It's kind of a just marriage exercise. But every time we finish, we get crushed with the sense of grief mm-hmm. and loss, which is such a bizarre feeling. Because it's the victory, the coronation, like yeah. all is well. I know, I should so feel elation, feel... like the right. conflict's over, villains have been defeated, evil is eradicated from the world. But yeah, I feel this crushing sense of loss, and I think it is that nostalgia of, oh man, this world that we were experiencing feels so clear. Mm-hmm. There's a clear enemy, there's a clear sense of purpose, clear goodness to fight for. Right. In my own life is so cloudy. <laughs> Mine's pretty clear. Yeah, I nice. just kill the orcs that come by. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, the most important I saw decision that. I make. <laughs> the most important decision I make is what kind of granola to buy and how much, like, carbohydrates it has. But it's become a big decision these days with all of the food allergies. Very important. What's hard about that particular film is that you are leaving the world right as everything is made right again. And so everything has, like, come back into alignment. Everything that they've been through, there's a sense of camaraderie. And then as the the viewer or the reader, you are then told that you need to leave now and go back to the world that is far from right and mm. far from clear. And mm-hmm. you're going to go be alone again now. You're mm-hmm. like, but, 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 what? Yeah, I know. And too, I think like through that narrative, it does demonstrate the kingdom of God. And so I think there is that feeling of that longing for the kingdom of God and that season of 
now and not yet and waiting. Mm -hmm. That is the wound of home. Mm. It's such an intriguing fabric of, wow, you are afflicted with remembering an Eden lost. You're anticipating the kingdom to come. And you carry the wound of being displaced. Part of the reason I brought up mortality in the Civil War is it actually highlights the significance of not addressing Mm. this pain. Mm -hmm. No, you may not die, but something significant will happen to your heart without engaging the territory of this longing. Mm -hmm. And one thing really is the witnessing unto celebration, naming together, pointing at the season and telling the story, situating you somewhere. Mm -hmm. Because your Tokyo moment, I have a few moments in my head that are like that where my alienation in space at a particular moment, I just go, this is insane that I am here. Hmm. And the solution, one solution to this level of displacement is witnessing and getting someone to know, you're what? You just came back from Tokyo? You mm-hmm. are driving now across half the country to get to work on time? That's ridiculous. What and mm-hmm. a fascinating story. Yeah, and I think that just makes me think of what Sam you were saying earlier about wanting celebration is not so much just like hooray for me, give me a trophy. It is more of that. Let me share my suffering with you. It's sharing those stories that are so alienating when you're not with people who don't know them. Right, right. Yeah, but as you talk about the Civil War thing, it does make me think of a potential fruit of all of this is deeper isolation, right? Like if you don't feel witnessed, don't feel celebrated, don't feel like you are journeying with anyone, all of those moments do just continue those rifts away from people where you can feel like you just arrived from Tokyo, but you actually have been living in the same city for 20 years, but you may as well have been dropped in from the other side of the planet because of how alone you are. And we referenced this earlier, this this study that came out where loneliness is as detrimental for your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes. What? It has that level of a psychological and physical toll on your body. That's crazy. That is a potential fruit if it continues to go down that rabbit trail and you get more and more isolated, more and more longing. Like there's a genuine need that must be met. Look at the little points of this of if you aren't celebrated... You may go off into crushing loneliness, which is as bad for you as smoking cigarettes. And you might stop trying. And you might find yourself afflicted with a home wound that is actually a negative anchor on your heart, like a sea anchor. And go, oh, man. One of my questions in thinking about this podcast was, what are the things that you would name? Either that you've seen or out of your own story of... What are some core victories that, had they happened to someone else, you would have celebrated them, or they did happen to someone else, and you did celebrate them? So, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Very good question. Well, maybe I'll... I wasn't wasn't listening, so that was on you. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean is... It's helpful to illustrate the kinds of things that are worth celebrating when you graduated high school. Celebrate is kind of a theater where you're practicing because a rehearsal of 
work through, celebrate, work through, celebrate. And so some of, some of the things that I wrote down that I, what if you had just entered your third year of biking? It's kind of fascinating that if it was your third year of college, you'd be like a junior and it would be a big deal. But if you just have kept at something for a while, it actually sort of trickles towards oblivion. Mm. But I went, why don't you have a bike-versary where mm. you just acknowledge your commitment and growing competency in the sport that you love? Oh, your brain, human beings are like so wired for this. We crave this kind of stuff because like society does drop these sorts of things in to gamify certain situations, right? Where it's like you do get that if you've if you've watched X amount of things um, or if you've... You, you you can unlock higher levels within certain disciplines. Um, scuba, you can keep getting further education. Thing like, well, I'm just I'm going. Oh yes, Blaine, you're so right. Like, actually, there are situations where this has been created for us, and they're they totally scratch this. Oh my gosh. Here's here's some others on my list. Ready? Uh, when you realize it's common for you to hear the voice of God, <laughs> that would be a moment to stop, pull some people together. Uh, when you pray for someone and it makes a difference, oh my gosh. And then it's interesting, and my list actually was uh, a lot of these, as you named Luke, come through losses. And it can, there can be a negative form of that, but there can be a, there's the form of advancing in a battle that is building towards victory. Mm. And I had a really interesting experience a month ago where a guy in our church, his family went through something difficult. And it was the kind of thing where I just told him, hey, I'm going outside and lighting a fire. Get over here. And he comes over and just pass him the tequila bottle. And then a couple other guys came over and there wasn't this, yeah, life is terrible. But it had kind of the holiness of, we get it. And you are actually advancing into a company that we're not celebrating what happened, but we're acknowledging the maturity of your life mm-hmm. That you, now that you're here and go, oh, yeah, many of us have lost things like that. Um, cheers to the battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is making me think, Blaine, of, of the things that Morgan will throw out there at like the last boot camp. He's like, he was inviting men to become what they had hoped to receive. And it's way more likely that you can become the kind of person who creates these celebrations, these honoring moments for others, and also benefit from it yourself in offering them than it is that you're going to just wait around and get the right person to start celebrating you and seeing Mm -hmm. your life. That is exactly what that makes me think of. Yeah, yeah. And I was just to say, things worth celebrating is like any moment, any season that's required perseverance that's come to an end is always worth yes. celebrating um, that you've like made it to the end of something that you'd had to suffer through. Um, even if it's just like a crappy job. Um, yeah, I think the desire is for something on the epic scale of the kingdom of God. Um, but to actually address that on my in my heart, it doesn't need to be on that scale. Um, I wanted to gather everyone that I walked through that story with, and that was my longing. Um, But I could also address that in my heart in other ways. 
simply in naming that desire um, and then celebrating with Olivia. You know, it wasn't grand. It was just, hey, let's open a bottle of wine. Let's toast to the end of this season um, and and just stop and notice that it is significant. Um, And that was enough to buoy my heart. It didn't need to be grand, but it did need to be addressed. That is so significant. Last summer, uh, very near the anniversary of the loss of a good friend of mine, I went to a balloon glow. It's like a balloon launch, except the hot air balloons don't go up. It's at night, and they just ignite. So cool. It is so cool. And I was up on this hillside overlooking it, and I had this wild experience where here's 10,000 people and this landscape of hot air balloons that are you know, glowing out of the darkness as their burner lights up. And I, my heart went, yes, hmm. exactly. This is the level of ritual that I want for my friend. This would, this is what every loss deserves to acknowledge. This, and it was just this picture of in the kingdom, here is a celebration. Thousands gathered, something mysterious and beautiful and somber while also being fun. And as you said, naming that does something for my resentment of mm. not being able to get it. It goes, that's it. It's coming. And now what do what does a ritual of celebration and acknowledgement actually look like? Because more often than not, it's a glass of wine, not uh, or it's Yeah, this is actually where I was going as I'm thinking about there's an appropriate level of response to something. It doesn't need to be fanfare in a parade because most of the time that might be very inappropriate, though, you know, as you're quitting the coffee shop and you're shutting it down to walk outside and then for there to be fireworks. But like, I've, I've often thought about that it's, I think it's more traditional to try and think of an arrival into heaven or this moment of like fanfare and welcome. And like, I actually don't resonate with those images personally. Like, I've kind of felt a little bit awkward about that. And I, I had this image that came um, sometime last year where it was the canyons. I'm actually I'm taking you back to Moab again. It was one of the canyons on the river road in Moab. And in the distance, I could hear like like a, a crowd had gathered and there was some cheering. Something was already going on, but it wasn't about me and I wasn't responsible for it. And I had the appropriate, like I arrived in heaven and I was alone but I was alone in some place that I loved and there was the space to walk and process and then enter into whatever Jerusalem looked like. And something in my heart went like, oh yes, like that feels like a kind of appropriate aligning of the physical to what my heart would need, which totally translated to a form of celebration for me. Mm-hmm. Like there was something that it all fell into alignment, though it may not have looked like what I think we would assume most celebrations would be with confetti falling out of the sky. Yeah, yeah and then later too, so I had Olivia and I toasted that night, um, but then several weeks later, I did get to get together with um, my boss that I worked for and a few of the guys that were still working at the coffee shop, and we met for beers and cigars. Hmm. Um, and it was really quiet, and we didn't really tell stories because – most of the guys that were still working there were new, but it did have a sense of, right, we're here for a reason. We're together for a reason. So similar to your story, Blaine, about that fire of like, we didn't need 
to like talk about me to f- have it feel honoring just the fact that like we had gathered mm. there's a core element of this that I want to name which is what is massively and not fixably in the way uh false comparison <laughs> the the poison of the man in the 20s life <laughs> which goes the poison of man the poison of man and go again you finish whatever it is whatever the last ritual into the 20s is and then everybody's life gets very different and if your narrative is you're behind or you're off course or you're barely making it what is there to celebrate and go okay so <laughs> You need God's narrative for your life? And I was thinking about how, what would help to do more of this. And I thought, well, one is just this regular, the need to ask God what my story is in this season, because he can point out the significant moments. And then the huge one is peers. Like, you know, you and I, I'm looking at you, Luke, have a brother who published a book early in his 20s. So if we publish a book, the story could be here we are, 10 years behind, finally getting a book out. <laughs> or letting God tell the story and then finding writing peers. It could just be a, oh, man, people who know a little bit about what your season is costing you are primed to celebrate with you. That's good. Can't resonate with feeling behind at all. I've never felt behind in my entire life. Nice. I feel behind all the time, at all times. <laughs> and it's so difficult to reorient myself to reality. Let me know when you figure that out. Yeah, I will. It'll be a whole, it'll be a different podcast. Yeah. We're going to charge extra for that one. Yeah, no, good idea. <laughs> my question is one of two directions. Sort of a what is working? In terms of celebration, uh, wh- where, where are the baby steps towards this? Or simply, uh, young guys, what, what else would you tell them about it for the life of their heart? I think so much of it is what I'm trying to tell myself for the life of my own heart. Um, yeah, I think, I think that... It, Simplicity. It's okay for it to be really simple. Um, I think what has worked for Olivia and I so often is like opening that bottle of wine that's been sitting on the shelf for two weeks that we've been saving. You know, even that kind of uniqueness um, is really good. Yeah, this is sort of for me more advanced. Something that Susie and I have learned. We learned this lesson in our like second year of marriage. Um, we were getting slammed with the world of social media and just comparison, and it felt like everybody else was living these really glamorous lives. And um, I don't know if it's I'm not very good at taking photos with my phone or what the secret is to making my life look that good. But we decided to do the, the film project, the, the very first one for us, which was like we were going to record small moments throughout this year and then make Sam and Susie year two, and. We've watched that video uh, countless times Mm -hmm. because to have that all laid out like that for us was a way that we actually could celebrate that year. And we recorded us in the grocery store. 
We recorded us making certain meals. We recorded us on the trips we got to take that year or just biking to the lake nearby mm. and put in that sort of a highlight reel. You're like, our lives are so rich. We are so wealthy to get to do that together. Look at the joy on your face as we're looking at quail eggs and the Asian market, like just mm. how out of place we feel. And it actually has this act of celebration about it. So we've taken it up now again to do this year, but we also do it for small things. We do it for like the trip we just took a couple of weeks ago and we've already watched that video countless times because mm. it's this act of my memory and celebrating what happened like I lose those really quickly unless I fight for them. And so for us, it's been like nobody else sees it. We share it with family sometimes, but it's really for us to go and look and be like, remember when we did this? Remember this space? Remember what that was like? Remember what just last summer, like there's beauty in it. And hmm. for us, that's become a ritual and a form of celebration that's very internal and that we get to like, keep going back to that well and dunking and being like, this is still good. Like there's still water here. I'm going to keep dunking in this as much as I can. Yeah. Two come to mind. One that we've done, another one that I've seen guys do, but I would go find two other men. Age doesn't matter, but just with a sort of a commitment to witness each other's stories, pool your resources and get a very nice bottle of scotch and when they're and it, it is only it only comes out of the box and you know a wee dram is only poured at a significant moment and then you have a sharpie and you record on the side of the box the moment and you will miss some but it provides this place of oh hey uh, dave just broke up with that girl that we actually really thought he should break up with for a while and it was hard like this is actually a scotch moment. The other one, some I had some friends who didn't drink, and so they bought a sweet pro wrestling championship belt, and they just traded it around between the three of them when there was, like, a significant moment. Mm. And it was this acknowledgement trade-off where, you know, and it's, maybe it's you asked the girl out. Maybe you're coming through a hard season. Maybe it's simple and, hey, yeah. Uh, and they're tossing you the championship belt, and you're like, why? And they're like, we just noticed that you've kept with running for three months. Like, put that on your wall for a bit hmm. and go. Uh, a little ritual of acknowledgement and something to remind you to have a ritual. 